Let me turn you back to Mark chapter 16, please. Entitled the message, The Gospel Received or Rejected. And just with the scriptures open before us, let's unite our hearts together in a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank Thee for the glorious message that Christ died for me. We thank the Lord for the only hope and the only plea. And Lord, we pray that we would not just be caught up with that lovely hymn, but Lord, that we would appreciate the words of it and lay them to heart. But ask, Lord, that thou would shut us in with thyself as we come to this passage, in particular these verses. And we pray that thou would give understanding. We need the help of the divine author of the Scriptures, even the Holy Spirit. And we pray that thou might brood over this congregation. Lord, that thou would give us opening ear, open ears, a receptive heart. Lord, that thou would have thine own way, even in this meeting house tonight. To that end, I would pray for that help that I need, even in this, behind the sacred desk. Thou would give us that power from above, that we might preach the preaching that thou was bidden us. For we ask this in our Savior's precious name. Amen. If we were given in this church to using modern versions, then having read the first eight verses of Mark chapter 16, you would be confronted with a footnote indicating that the two most reliable manuscripts do not have the remainder of the chapter. I would like to rephrase that. They're two of the most unreliable manuscripts. And that's what the modern versions are based upon. They're unreliable because they're known to be manuscripts that leave out. And when you consider the verses that we have read tonight from verse 9, that's just taken out. But these verses uh, reveal the most wonderful truths to us. And what they center upon is the risen Savior who issues a final command unto his disciples ere he ascends. And in a wonderful way, you know, the book of Mark opens and closes in a similar manner. You might say, what do you mean by that? Well, you can go back to Mark chapter 1. You consider there that the Savior was sent into the wilderness. And he was to be attacked by the devil during those 40 days in which he was tempted. But he being attacked, the Lord Christ was to overcome and conquer the devil with the written word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. Now look at chapter 16. And it's Christ's people who are sent out into the world. And they can expect to be attacked as well. For if the world and the devil hated Christ, you can be sure that they will hate Christ's people as well. And as with Christ in chapter 1, it is he who protects. It is he who empowers his people to be overcomers of the world. And we have the promise of the Lord working with us and confirming the word with signs following. Men and women, the word that souls need is the same the world over. In every corner of it, man is no different. 
There is none that doeth good, no, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. For whatever color, class, or creed, or background, uh, they are in need of God's wonderful salvation. But how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And you see, that was the great task of the disciples and the early church. And what remains to be the great task for the church of Jesus Christ to this day and until time shall be no more. The disciples were to go forth and they were to deliver the message of the gospel. And that solemn message of the gospel, it comes and it reaches your heart tonight. But I wonder, what will you do with it? I wonder what will be your response. Receive it or reject it. Let me read to you the words of verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And in due course we'll come to that verse. But firstly, I want you to notice the gospel preached. Because that which is striking in these words is to ascertain what is it that is not believed. What is it that's not believed in verse 16? And that brings us back to the previous verses, to that which the Lord commanded his disciples to do, and to what was their great task and their great commission. And by inference, every man that's called and sent forth by the Lord ever since is the same task. Were they to go forth and to entertain people? Were they to cause them to be happy with their uh, uh, circumstances socially? No, they were to go forth to preach the gospel. Look at verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You see, it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The Apostle Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 1 and 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, let me give you an understanding of what he's saying there. He is not underestimating one of the ordinances that the Lord left to his church, the other being to remember his death. But what he is reminding the believers in Corinth is that the fact that the administering of baptism wasn't the be-all and end-all. And therefore for them, it ought not to have caused divisions among them. And Paul is reminding them that wasn't his calling from the Lord. He was sent forth to, bapt, to, to preach the gospel, not to baptize. Indeed, following his conversion on that road to Damascus, we do read that when he had received his sight, when he was strengthened, that straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Acts chapter 9. And so you see, <clears throat> from the start of his ministry until the very end, he preaches the same message. It's the gospel of Christ. The command of the Lord was for his people to go forth and to evangelize the world, preach the good news of God's salvation to every creature. Now what is the gospel that all need to hear and in many cases is not believed? In all simplicity, it is that God, what God's Word teaches. 
That man, whoever he is, or wherever he is, wherever he comes from, is a lost and a dying soul. Sinners who are perishing in their sin. Everyone born of Adam's fallen race have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5 and verse 12 reminds us, by, but for by one man sin entered into the world. That's Adam, that's our first parent. And death by sin, there's the consequences of it. And so death passed upon all men for that all of sin. There's the universality of it. The heart of man is wicked. He is alienated from his creator and his God because of sin. And one has only got to take up the word of God and throw out the pages of scripture from the fall in the garden. Man is seen to be a sinner who is perishing. He's dying physically. He's dead spiritually. He's in danger of dying eternally. And we all are descendants of Adam. We have all fallen in his transgression. But the message of the good news of the gospel is one of revealing the Savior who is the only remedy for sin. And I remind you who that Savior is. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who came from the glories of heaven and came down to take upon himself the form of man, yet without sin. You see, for any substitute to, for sinful man to be acceptable in the Father's sight, he had to be sinless himself. And in obedience to the work that the Father gave him to do, he was to lay down his life on that old rugged cross at Calvary so that the penalty of sin could be exacted. And there on that rugged cross, he who knew no sin, he was sinless. There was no guile found in his mouth. He who knew no sin yet became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God through him. He was to take upon himself our sins and bear them away as the sinner's substitute. And by the shedding of his blood, he was to procure salvation for a lost and a dying people who were afar off from God. But dear friend, although he died, yet he arose again for one who is dead, one who is stinking in the tomb, is no saviour at all. And these very words in Mark chapter 16, they were spoken by the risen saviour. And these verses, which the modernist loves to cast doubt over and take the proverbial scissors to, and which many perversions of the Scripture suggest should not be part of the Word of God, they reveal to us that Christ arose from the dead. He has conquered death. He has destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Praise his name. He's alive forevermore. And only that, but these verses also reveal to us that he is now the exalted Lord. For having delivered these words to the disciples, you'll notice in verse 19, he was to ascend up to heaven to sit at the right hand of God on high. Tell me, is that not a message worth hearing? Is that not the gospel message, which is a message of what Christ has done for an undeserving people? Is it not a message of victory? Is it not a message of hope to them that have no hope in this world, to those who are without Christ in this world, to those who will have no hope in the world that is to come? The message that is to be believed and to be received. 
is of a Savior who lived, who died, who rose again from the dead according to the Scriptures and who ascended back to heaven and who one day is coming again. There's the gospel message. You want proof of his resurrection? You want proof that Christ is alive? You have it even in these words that we read tonight. Just look at this. Verse 9. There's one. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Verse 12, verse 2. And yet, after that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. There's Luke 24, for example, the two on the road to Emmaus. Verse 14, you have the third proof. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven that sat at meat and abraded them. And there were other appearances following his resurrection from the dead. The proof is there. The gospel is one where the sinner needs to receive by faith. This one thing is needful. For a person may be a churchgoer and they may even have been baptized and they may even indulge themselves with good works. But if they have not received Christ by the gift of faith and when he, what he has done in Calvary's cross, then all those other things will profit them nothing. And that person is still a lost soul. Still an unbeliever. It's not enough that there's an intellectual knowledge of the gospel. There has to be and needs to be that hard experience of the new birth whereby the sinner feels the weight and feels the heinousness of their sin and yet God's Spirit has showed them that it is the Lord Jesus Christ that they need to flee to and they need to lay hold upon for eternal life. I tell you men and women, there's life like no other to be found in Christ. And there's salvation in no other. For there's none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. That's the gospel that is preached. That's the gospel that is preached in your hearing and which you can receive by faith tonight. Why? For faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The gospel preached. But you know there's also here the guilt possessed. For even though the gospel is preached in all its fullness and we have to concede, we have to be honest tonight, there are places where that is not the case. Oh, they may say they, they, they go to church or they may preach the gospel. It's not the gospel of the scriptures. It's a gospel of social living. Doing one's best. Even though many have been favored with hearing the message which is able to save their soul, yet there are those and they will not believe. That has been their response to the preaching of Christ. And John reminds us, He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, they stand guilty before a holy God. And I want you to consider the guilt their guilt is one of rejecting the Christ of God. And that is what many souls are about this evening. They will not yield to the pleadings of the Spirit of God. They will not heed the words of the gospel. They will not heed the invitation of the preacher to reject the Lord Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, is to reject the one who is described as the altogether lovely one. He is altogether lovely. This is my friend. This is my beloved. That's what King Solomon could say. 
I want to remind you tonight, dear loved one, it's not a church that you reject. It's not even a preacher that you reject who is but a God's messenger and mouthpiece. But people are actively and deliberately rejecting the Son of God who gave his all on that cross that guilty sinners might be set gloriously free from the bondage of sin and from Satan himself to reject the person of Christ who's the only redeemer of God's elect is to reject the only way to God's heaven for he himself said I am the way, the truth and the life no man cometh unto the Father but by me you might as well cry out like those of old we will not have this man to rule over us Oh, the guilt that is yours, unconverted loved one, for rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And coupled with that, we can also say the guilt is one of despising the sacrifice that he offered upon the cross. You turn to Hebrews chapter 10. In the words of verse 26, it simply says this, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. No more sacrifice for sin. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Despise what Christ has accomplished at Calvary through the offering up of himself as a sacrifice for sin. Count his precious blood as an unholy thing. Despise this once for all sacrifice for sins and there remaineth no salvation to you. You cannot be neutral on hearing the gospel. It is either foolishness to you as an unbeliever or it has become the power of God unto salvation to you. The guilty one sinner ought to recognize that every time that they hear the gospel preached to their soul and yet reject the offer of God's mercy, they are but heaping guilt upon themselves unto the day of judgment. Is that not what the Savior taught? concerning those who were blessed with his preaching and with his mighty works. You might uh, turn back with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, and the words of verse 20. It says there, Then began he, that is Christ, to abrade the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. They remained unbelieving. And he enumerates them. He numbers them. Verse 21. Woe unto thee. There's the woe of the triune God. Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and in ashes. Woe unto them that saw the blind man receive his sight. And yet they still had not looked to Christ and were saved. They still were blind spiritually. Verse 23. Woe thou Capernaum, sorry, which art exalted unto heaven shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. 
Capernaum. I said to you before is where the earthly ministry of the Savior was to be centered. And here's the city. And they'd heard Christ preach in the synagogue. They'd witnessed the unclean spirit of a man cast out. And yet they would not receive his word by faith. They were still unclean in their sin. They were but heaping guilt upon themselves. And the Lord says it will be more tolerable for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah on that great day of judgment than it would be for them. What about you that are still unbelieving? How many times have you heard the gospel preached to your heart? But the guilt is that sinners love their sin more than they desire to have Christ and be saved. I turn you to Second Thessalonians chapter three, chapter two, and verse twelve. It says that. They all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The unbeliever is one who does not want to embrace the truth of God. And the hindrance is that they love their sin and they love their pleasure in unrighteousness. What sin are you clinging on to this evening? What sin are you taking pleasure in tonight that you will not have Christ? Let me ask you a very pointed question. What sin is worth burying your soul's salvation away for? For remember what the Lord taught. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Make no mistake about it. That is what the unbeliever is guilty of. And that the the Lord could say of you, ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Oh, that you would have the eye salve of God poured in. That you would see the beauty of Christ as never before. That you might behold him who is mighty to save and praise his name. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. And even for the one who's been guilty of those things, he's able to forgive. He's able to pardon your sins if you will but come and repent of them. Because you have a guilt tonight. That you possess yourself. Nobody else. Not the one beside you in front of you. It's your guilt. It's your sin. It's led to your account. That's why you need the gospel. And that's why you need Christ as Savior. There's one final thought. And that is the judgment pronounced. I read to you at the very start. Or near the start. Verse 16. Let me go back there. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now let me explain that. That doesn't mean you need to be baptized to be saved. There's no just thing as baptismal regeneration, what is called, and what some places teach. Church of Rome teaches that. Need to be baptized. The Lord's not teaching that. There's no condition to salvation. The work has been done. The price has been paid. It's by faith, by grace alone. But what he is saying is, he that believeth, he that is saved, and then following that has shown that in a public fashion uh, by the means of grace and baptism. 
He goes on and he says, he that, but he that believeth not shall be damned. He, there's a contrast there. And so while he's speaking about the child of God, the believer, in the first part of the verse, the second half of the verse is about those who have rejected the Lord. Verse 16 at the end, the NIV has it, they are condemned. That doesn't carry the thought. You see, John 3 verse 18 states that the soul that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But what verse 16 of Mark 16 teaches and what it is about, there's a future pronouncement here in view. And so the word condemned doesn't do it. The Lord said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That's different. The soul that remains a Christ rejecter shall be judged by God, and that damnation shall consist of being cast off from the presence of God. You know, there's some who are very foolish enough to suggest that this earth is hell. But an eternity in hell will be an eternity away from the presence of God, separated for eternity. First Thessalonians chapter one and verse seven tells us this. Second Thessalonians, I beg your pardon, chapter 1, verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Hell will be an eternal separation from God. The presence of God is still known on this earth. That's why this is not hell. Oh, I don't decry. Uh, many people have their troubles and afflictions and hard, heavy burdens to carry. But this is not hell, men and women, because we have still God's presence. We've known God's presence in this house today. We've known God's presence in the days past. We're still living in the day of his grace when people are believing the gospel to the salvation of their souls. I was talking to a man just yesterday telling me that within two weeks ago a Jehovah Witness has professed faith in Christ, a one he had come across. But in hell there will be a great gulf fixed between and it will be the place where God has forgotten to be merciful. God does not answer prayer in hell. It's damnation. And this damnation will mean being declared guilty by a just and a holy God at the bar of judgment. The psalmist, he reminds us in the opening psalm, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment and the way of the ungodly shall perish. Then shall come to pass that day in which the hidden things of secret and of darkness shall be brought to light and the counsels of the heart will be made manifest. And the unbeliever shall hear those Heart-rending words. 
Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me. Ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Depart from me. And the sense is, on you go. That lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For recognize, as the last book of the Revelation reminds us, that there shall in no wise enter into heaven anything that defileth. And if you are to be in God's heaven, then your sin needs to be dealt with. You will need on that great day of judgment an advocate. An advocate to the Father to stand up and to plead your cause. You go into a courtroom, you know what an advocate is. An advocate is one who speaks on your behalf before the judge. And you'll need an advocate on that great judgment day to stand forth and say, I died for him. I shed my blood for him. He is mine. I am his. But for the unbeliever, their doom and their damnation is sealed. You know why? For the advocate with the Father is Jesus Christ the righteous. The very one whom they heard preached on this earth. The very one who was revealed to their heart as the only Savior. The Christ who died, the just for the unjust, that is them, that he might bring us to God. But the very one whom they also heard message after message after message and yet rejected, went out through the door saying no to Christ. Your damnation will consist of being cast into the lake which burneth with fire. For the one who dies rejecting God's salvation through the glorious person and work of God's dear Son is the one who deserves to die eternally forever in hell. And that means every one of us deserve that. Romans 2 verse 5 and 6 says this, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. It's righteous judgment. There'll never be any miscarriages of judgment with God. Men and women understand that there's a heaven to gain. And there's a hell to shun. He that believeth not shall be damned. How awful those very words sound. But dear loved one, this will be the eternity of the unbeliever because Christ cannot go back on his word. He cannot go back on his promises. The promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. Revelation 21 and 8 says this, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. You see, there's an unbelieving in there. And you may not be the adulterer. You may not be the murderer. You may not be uh, even the abominable, but you're unbelieving. Oh, the dear unconverted Loved one, tonight you would consider your latter end 
And that without further delay, that you would grasp your only hope, and that you would receive by simple faith the Lord Jesus Christ, who's preached unto you, and who in you will become the hope of glory, as he is for every child of God. Oh, that you might come by faith this evening and be saved. Which is it going to be? Receive. Or reject it. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. May God be pleased to write those solemn words on each and every heart, even tonight, for his glory's sake.